peoples of the Worldwide Federated Internet. What's good? Yes, you see me in a new backdrop. I'm not changing my set. What I'm doing right now is I bought me a USB dynamic microphone. When I travel, I don't want to travel with so much gear. So I'm trying to get together a portable setup. I'll be traveling a little, a little bit more with the job I have now. So I want to be able to record a podcast when I'm on the road. And the last time I traveled, I brought a bunch of gear with me and I thought to myself I don't want to have to bring all of this stuff every time I travel just a podcast so got this mic I'm testing it out I came into a different space it's a more open space you might hear some things in the background that's me just testing out the the range or the side access rejection of this dynamic mic that's a lot of inside baseball probably a lot of things you don't care about but I'm a bit of an audiophile, so I'm very concerned with my audio and how it sounds. So that's why you see me in a different backdrop today. Anyway, we're getting back to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 8. Let's get into this. All right. So we just went through the discourse where Judas was upset because this ointment was in his mind wasted and he said we can you know we could have sold that helped the poor whatever we know that that really wasn't the reason that Judas mentioned this he really didn't care much about the poor but needless to say the Lord Jesus Christ responds for the poor for the poor always ye have with you but me you have not always. And the Lord Jesus Christ is letting them know that I am here physically with you temporarily. You won't have me here with you all the time. The poor will always be here for you to help out and do things for. And, and again, we know as we read the verses proceeding in the in the last podcast that Judas really didn't care about the poor. He held the money bag. He was worried about the money. This is what he was concerned about. Whether the poor were taken care of or not really irrelevant to him. It was just about gain. Verse nine, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Now, you might think to yourself, if you're reading this and you get a little bit of a air of piousness in you is what they didn't come for Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. But you got to you got to put yourself in the position of these people. They have never seen anything like this. Never have they even thought or considered someone being raised from the dead right before their eyes. Lazarus was in that tomb for four days. 
The Lord Jesus Christ came, told him to rise. He came up out the tomb. People want to see this. They want to see this with their own eyes. They want to know, okay, did this really happen? If it really happened, we want to see this because this is something that has not been done. So uh, verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. The chief priests are so ate up. They are so bent out of shape with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has garnered some degree of popularity and that people have begun to believe on him and his works now testify of him. Not only do they want to get rid of him, they want to also get rid of the works that testify of him. They want him erased. They, they don't they don't want any semblance of his existence anywhere. They just want him to go away. Wow. This is a, this this it would have been an interesting thing to be around during this time. OK, verse 12 and 13 on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he, the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, when I when I read that, I looked up the word Hosanna and I kind of had a, a a whole back and forth in my in my mind about what Hosanna meant. Now, I'm going to say something here and I'm kind of going to get on a side issue. And I'm going to make an attempt to prove my point. I think it is very noble to learn Greek and Hebrew. I think that is that is very noble. I, I think it's a. Especially when you're seeking to study your Bible more in depth. I think it's a great thing. I'm leading with this so people don't get what I'm saying misunderstood. It is a great thing to learn Greek and Hebrew, but I think it is a fallacy. In my opinion, you can disagree and I'm fine with that. I think it's a fallacy to believe and hold to the opinion that you must or you have to learn Greek and Hebrew in order to understand the Bible. Now, I'm going to seek to ex explain and expound on this, and I'm going to do it in a roundabout way. And some of this is probably going to be inside baseball for, for people who've never really done much studying into languages, words, and the etymology of words. Okay, so Hosanna. Hosanna is a transliteration of a Hebrew conjunctive word, which is used in Psalm 118 and verse 25. And I'm going to go to Psalm 118 and I'm going to read the whole Psalm. And then we're going to get to verse, verse 25. What a transliteration is for those who don't know. If, if you were to discover a new language and they had a unique alphabet, and then you were able to decipher that alphabet in order to translate the sounds of those alphabets, like let's say if you had a word and in order to translate that word into 
um, and in into English, you would have to use letters that will project the same sounds as the letters used in that original language. And this is called transliteration. I would admonish you look up the correct, the proper uh, English definition of the word transliteration as my explanation sometimes isn't the greatest. I understand things oftentimes better than I can explain them. So what I'm going to do, I just had this thought as I was saying that I'm just going to read, uh, look up the word transliteration and read for you the definition, because if you're anything like me, when somebody says, or you're listening to a podcast and somebody says, yeah, you can look this up or you can look that up. I'm not always good about doing that. And sometimes I do because I like knowing things, but I know sometimes people just don't have time to do these things. And of course, now my dictionary is going to give me a, a problem looking up this word trans. You got to learn how to spell if you're going to be looking stuff up. Let me open my other dictionary. I have two dictionaries on my phone. Keep them on me. I have a Noah Webster's 1828 and I have a modern dictionary because some there's new words that come about and you can't always find words, certain words in an older dictionary. Anyway, so transliteration is to represent or spell in characters of another alphabet. So hopefully that made a little more sense to you. So anyway, I'm going to read Psalm 118 and I'm going to do my best to read through it fairly quickly as I don't want this podcast to take too long. I don't want to, I don't want to lose your attention. I know how people's attention span is. So I'm going to try to read it fairly quickly, get into verse 25, and I'm going to try not to trip over my words as I read. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is my, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They can pass me about, yea, they can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They can pass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of joy and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly, valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. 
open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go unto them and I will praise the Lord, the gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me uh, and art become my salvation. The stone the builders refuse is become the head stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. So that word Hosanna is a transliteration, as I said, of a conjunctive word, of a Hebrew conjunctive word. And that word you see is save now, I beseech thee. Right? So I'm going to try to read these words without slaughtering them, but I may slaughter words. So the first word is uh, Yasha, and it means to save, to be saved, to be delivered. And the second word is Ana, uh, Ah, now, I, we beseech you, oh, now, pray now. So that word Hosanna is not actually, from what I gather, not actually a Greek word, but a transliteration of a, of that, of those two conjunctive Hebrew words. And it means, uh, if you look up in the English dictionary, Hosanna, it means save I beseech you, right? So pleading for someone to save you. Okay, now if you look in a modern dictionary, that was the definition out of the Noah Webster's 1828, right? Uh, I hope you're following along with everything I'm saying here. I know a lot of this is inside baseball and might be a little confusing. Stay with me here. All right, so the modern dictionary definition, I'm going to read something out of that. If you look in the, the, the Noah Webster's dictionary, and I'm assuming other dictionaries will have pretty much the same thing. It says history and etymology, and it's talking about of the word Hosanna. Middle English, it was Osanna. From Old English, from Late Latin, from Greek, Hosanna. From Hebrew, Hosiana, pray, save us. Why did I do all of that? I went through all of that, the, the, the Hebrew uh, conjunctive words, what they meant, and we can see what, what those words are, right? So if you look in Psalm 118, that word save now is Yasha, and I beseech thee is Anna. So Yasha Anna, right? And the transliteration into Hebrew was Hosanna. And, and that's, that's what they were saying. Now, if I didn't do any of that and all I had was an English dictionary, I would have came to the same conclusion because when I read the English dictionary, I'll read it again. History and etymology, middle English, Osana from old English, from late Latin, from Greek, Hosanna from Hebrew, Hashiana, pray, save us. I would have been able to come to the same conclusion without ever going to any of those Hebrew words. Now, I said all that to say, because I know some people study their Bible and at times get a little 
discouraged. And the reason some people get discouraged at times is because there's many theologians, there's many scholars that go over these big swelling words. And some people think, well, I'll never understand this. These dudes have an understanding beyond me and they know Greek and they know they know Hebrew. And I don't know that. We have so many study aids now. You can get a Strong's Concordance and you can look up any Greek and Hebrew word you want that's in the Old Testament or Hebrew word that's in the Old Testament and Greek word in the New Testament. But even if you didn't have that, if you have a correct command of the English language, you can understand your Bible. This is why I say all of this. This is just my opinion, right? So what I'm telling you right now is, is not a doctrine. So don't, don't take what I say and say, well, Brooknam said this, so it's true. First of all, I'm not your God, right? So you, you should be praying to God and asking God for understanding on a multitude of issues, all issues of life. That's, that's who you should go to. The reason I say this is there was a time that I felt like I had to be like one of these preachers that understood these grand swelling things and new language upon language upon language. And that those are good things to do. But they are not necessities to understand your Bible. Here's my contention and my argument. God is sovereign. God created all of this. God created all languages. Now, I've heard the arguments that there are certain things in, in Hebrew that can't be conveyed into English or into other languages. I personally... And I could be 100% wrong about this. That's what I'm telling you. This is not doctrine. I personally disagree. And this is the premise by which I disagree with that. If God created all languages, which he did, you're telling me that God cannot convey what, what was originally said in Hebrew into English, we're talking about the God who created the universe and everything in it. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the planets. Everything was created by him. Organs, brain, animals, earth, the, the rotation of the earth, the, the, the position of the earth from other planets, the sun, the heat. God created everything but he can't convey a thought that was originally conveyed in the Hebrew language in English. I don't believe that personally. I do not hold that belief. I personally believe that is silly. Now that does not mean I can't be wrong. It is very possible for me to be wrong. Okay. So let's get to verse 14 and 16 and Jesus when he had found a young ass sat therein, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh sitting on an ass colt. And that is pulled from uh, the book of Zechariah. Let's go to it. Not a book that's really gone too much. I don't really hear people, you know, going over this book much. One of the books that I, I think I, I want to go into just a little more and it's out of the book of Zechariah chapter 9 
Let me see if I can remember where it's at exactly. I didn't want to have to read through the whole thing. Oh, let's let's read. How big is this chapter? This chapter goes down, goes down a couple verses, but I'm going to read and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, oh, yeah, here it goes right here. Uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is verse nine, Zechariah nine, nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Thou, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the the foal of an ass. There's many things, as I as I've said before in the Gospel of John, that are it, this book is actually taken on a different. I don't want to say a different meaning, but it's taken on more now that I'm going through the book than it did for me before. I, I can see how in previous studies, how I didn't really look into what this book was actually teaching. Very powerful. The whole Bible is powerful, but I like doing things like this and figuring out what's really going on verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Anyway, Thank y'all for joining me on this endeavor. Y'all know what it is. Stay frosty, people.